sermon text today is found in the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. I'd like for you to look at the end of that section before I get started. I trust that what I'm going to read in verse 9 will cause you to listen carefully to the other verses, not that you would not listen carefully anyway, but certainly there's a grand and glorious truth revealed in verse 9 that certainly we want to understand how we can embrace it. Paul would say, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What an incredible truth and promise that is to think of God's presence with us, a God who is represented by peace. We must not only know these things that we will hear this morning, but practice them. Let's go back to verse 1, chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers, also sisters, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Our Father, we are so grateful for your word. We are grateful that as we read it, that we can trust in it, we can rest in it. Father, give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we can see this truth. We would also ask, Holy Spirit, that you would enable us to practice these things, to do your will. I pray, Father, that we would find that strength from you through our union with Christ and the gospel, that we might be able to do these things for your honor and for your glory and for our good. Lord, we live in very uncertain times. We live in the midst 
of a time that produces great anxiety. There is always anxiety because of the circumstances of life. And so, Lord, we need to know how to deal with them in a way that honors you, in a way that you would instruct us, in a way that we can sense the God of peace, you, our God, with us at all times. So, Lord, I pray that you would enable me to speak well this morning, plainly, clearly. Holy Spirit, again, we ask that you would teach and open eyes. Lord, might you be honored and glorified and exalted through the ministry of the Scriptures this day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you so very much, Greg. If you're familiar with those gospel songs that Greg played, you have the core of the message this morning. I need thee, O Lord, I need thee. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and amazing grace. We do very much need the Lord. One of the verses, I don't know which one you played, didn't have words with it, but what I was singing in my eye, in my mind was, that thought about turning your eyes upon Jesus, that the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is the message that Paul is pressing upon us this morning through this text in Philippians. The importance not of trying to escape tribulation, but understanding how to deal with tribulation. Not to escape the anxieties of the world by some futile means, but rather recognizing that as we focus upon God, that he indeed can give us that peace that passes all understanding. A few weeks ago, Jason approached me knowing he was going to be out of town today. I hope you'll pray for Jason. He has done such a good job in leading us through these days. Uh, He logs many hours and thinking how we can best serve the church. And so I certainly appreciate the privilege of being able to serve with him. But a few weeks ago, he asked me if I would speak today. And he said, just select the text that the Lord might place upon your heart and mind. We just finished going through a series of messages on the Ten Commandments. He's going to introduce the next series, and that is on the book of Lamentations, which will be a very good study. And so I began to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, if you were here to preach today, what do your people need? I hope you do recognize that we are the people of God, that a part of the function of a shepherd of God is to be able to recognize the needs of the people as God brings to his own heart to be able to minister the word to them. And so as I began to pray, the Lord brought this text of scripture in particular Verse 6 to my mind, be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to the Lord. And so I began to think on that and I began to read through it and make some mental notes and wrote some things down. And then last Sunday, Brian got up and began to preach on Philippians 2. And I thought, oh man, There goes my text. He's going to say something, do something, and I'm not going to be able to preach. But 
when he finished that sermon, I thought, wow, what an excellent introduction for the thoughts that I have. If you listen to the Beatitude study last Sunday evening that Jason gave, Blessed Are the Peacemakers, it went along the same vein in a very practical sense of how to be a peacemaker. And certainly one of the key ingredients of our text today deals with peace. And so it seemed like unbeknownst to us, the Lord was putting together kind of a little mini-series here that would lead us into the book of Lamentation. The text that I read today is not a text that is hard to understand. Any of us, I think, that would take our time and simply look at this passage would be able to make very similar points that I'm going to make this morning. The difficulty in this text of Scripture is practicing it. Having the God of peace with us goes beyond just understanding what's here. It goes to the point of doing the Word, not simply knowing the Scriptures, but living the Scriptures. And so it becomes very important that we learn to do this. It is a challenge to me constantly in my life to remember to take the anxieties of my soul and bring them before the Lord. It is difficult for me at times to come before God in very difficult, gut-wrenching situations in my life and give thanks to the Lord as I make supplication unto Him. And so I recognize personally as a child of God that this is not an easy thing to do. But the benefit and the blessing of it is incredible. Peace. We live in a time that has very little peace with it. There's much unrest in our country because of the COVID-19. There's much unrest in homes because of a variety of topics related to that. The social unrest, the racial unrest, the various things that are there. We have people walking through very, very difficult health circumstances. Things that we cannot understand and they just grind at us and they pull at us and they create such anxiety in us. And so there's many, many things that bring this message to the forefront that would say it is something we need to get our hands around. It is important. Before we go to chapter 4 specifically, I'd like for us to take just a moment and kind of set the big picture of what Paul is wanting to do in this letter to the church in Philippi. Brother Brian last week did just a little bit of this, but I'd like to kind of add to that. And not that you would remember everything that he would say. I'm sure you, you don't remember much of what happens week after week. It's a cumulative effect of what God does in our heart. In the ESV study Bible, it says this about the theme of the letter to the church in Philippi. The chief theme of Philippians is encouragement. Paul wants to encourage the Philippians to live out their lives as citizens of a heavenly colony. You remember last week, Brian talked about working out your own salvation, and he said probably a better way to think about that is living out our lives. 
that God is working in us and we live those truths out in the midst of the people in which we find us. And so the ESV Bible is saying Paul's theme here is encouraging us to live out these truths by a growing commitment to service to God and to one another. The way of life that Paul encourages was manifested uniquely in Jesus Christ in particular chapter 2 and it says it was also evident in the lives of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. The main things, if you would read this letter, I think that you will find that Paul is encouraging the people to do. In verse 25 of chapter 1, it kind of goes along with what Randy said in our call to worship this morning and our reflection upon uh, the catechism. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. It is important that we are growing in our faith. It is important that we have a joy in our faith. It is important that we be a people who are growing, not by leaps and bounds always, but by making some approach to growth in our Christian life. And Paul said, I want to encourage you to grow. Secondly, he says in verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It is important that the people around us, that our spouse, our children, people in our neighborhood, people that we work with, people in our community, the people that we rub shoulders with, recognize the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in our lives. That the gospel is not just something that is spoken in a church service to bring souls to Christ, but rather it is something that dominates our life. It is a way of life. It is living out the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when he says worthy of the gospel, that our lives would reflect the work of Christ in us that our children would see that, that our spouses would see that, that people around us would recognize, not to our glory, but for the glory of God, the work of the gospel. In chapter 3, it says that we would glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That we would exalt in the Lord that we would find our rest in the Lord, that God and the gospel and Jesus Christ would be core to who we are, that for us to live is Christ, that we would glory in him and put no confidence in the flesh. We wouldn't be constantly looking for ways in our own scheming, our own understanding to deal with things that we wouldn't look with the resourcefulness of our own mind or the strength of our character and our grit to endure certain things and get through certain things. But we would recognize that we are to bring all things to Christ, that Christ is to be central, that the gospel itself plays a critical, vital place in our lives. That's what Paul is pressing toward in writing this letter to them. He writes to them from Rome from prison, and is encouraging them along these ways. Let's move to chapter 4, if you would, please. We find that 
Paul's admonitions to them, teaching to them, is grounded in his love for them, in God's care for them. It certainly is not any mystery or anything new that I would say to you and look you in the eye this morning and say to you, God does love you. God cares for you. God cares for you more than any person could ever, ever care for you. He loves you with a love that is beyond human ability to love. God cares for you. And I hope it is no mystery to you that as a part of your pastoral staff, as a shepherd in your life, that I also love you. That I care about you. I care about the anxieties of your life. I care about your walk with God. And Paul would say to them, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love, I love you. I care about you. You're more than just someone in a seat. I care about your life. And I want to lift you before the Lord. He says, I long for you. Listen to the words of chapter 1, verse 8. Paul would say, for God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ that God is loving you through me. And God's love is pouring out in me that I love you. Certainly not to the same degree that Christ loves you, but I do care for you. Therefore, Paul is going to open up this text of Scripture that will help them understand that they can have peace. That if they practice what he is going to teach them, that the God of peace will be with them. Now we know that God is always with us. But Paul here is not just speaking about that theological truth. He's speaking about the practical reality of knowing God's peace with us at all times. And that is a tremendous, tremendous challenge. Well, what are we to practice? He gives us some imperatives here, simple commands, simple statements, bullet point type things that we are to do that will result in the God of peace being with us. Let's look at the first one here in verse 1. Stand firm thus, or continuing, stand firm thus in the Lord. To stand firm means that we stand on the character, on the accomplished works, and on the words of our triune God. It is not telling us that we simply need to be of such character and such resolve in our own person, in our flesh, that we shall not be moved. But rather, he says, I want you not to stand firm in your flesh, not to stand firm in your ability, but I want you to learn to stand firm, unmoved, anchored in the person of our God. You stand firm in his character. 
Don't let anyone move you from the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the care of God, the redemption that we have in God. Don't you let anyone move you from that. You stand firm. This has been a refrain that the people of God have echoed throughout all history. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 62. A psalm that has spoken to my own soul. I have gone to this psalm over and over and over again to produce what God is wanting me to do, and that is to be firm in him. Listen to these words. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, my, oh, my soul wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times. And listen to the plea. You'll you'll hear it in just a moment in the verse. It'll be a focus for us in verse 6. O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Stand firm in the Lord. Anchor your mind, anchor your heart in the person and works and promises and words of our God. If you will do that, God will give you peace. God will allow you, even in the most difficult circumstances, to recognize something that will keep your heart and keep your mind. He will give you something that is supernatural, his peace. Stand firm. Secondly, in verse 2, there are two women in the church, Eodia and Syntyche. I'm sure there are many, many women in the church, but these two particular women, Paul is writing this letter back to the church and he addresses them. These are godly women. These are women that were deeply respected among the body of believers there in the city of Philippi and the church in that city. They were people that Paul loved. They were Christians. Their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They labored in the gospel. They stood side by side with the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about Acts 16 and what happened in the city of Philippi, you know that there was great conflict as the gospel went forth. But these women were there with Paul in the promotion and proclamation and the living of the gospel. So they're godly women. No doubt their hearts unified on truth. But there was a rift between them. Paul does not expose what it was that they were battling about, what they were disagreeing upon. Only that it had come to the point that it was bringing harm to the church. And so he asked a person not named in this letter, to go and help these women. 
Help them walk through and understand how to gain peace between the two of them. That they should agree in the Lord. Now probably whatever it was that they were arguing about, maybe they would never personally come to complete agreement on that situation. But it was a situation that was very minute in comparison to truth. Very minute in comparison to the glory of God and the unity of the body. And so they needed to agree in the Lord. They needed to be able to understand how do we gain peace with someone. I dare say that relationships often cause us tremendous anxiety. Relationships in the home, relationships at work, relationships in a church of all places, where things get upside down, not over truth necessarily, but over actions and over words and over opinions. I've heard people say so many times that everything was fine until they went to Facebook and they begin to look at all the posts and all the things going on. And it's just like the tension ratchets up in your heart and mind like, oh my goodness. I got to defend this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do the other. Paul would say one of the great things about peace is that you must practice getting along and agreeing in the Lord. You must do what we've been talking about in the Beatitudes. It is critical that we engage in honoring one another. That's what the gospel says. We serve one another. We pray for one another. We love one another. We restore one another. We forgive one another. We sacrifice for one another. That is the gospel bearing upon our life. That is living the gospel. That is walking worthy of the gospel in relationships. How many times in these last months is there such turmoil even within the church over opinions about one thing or another, even masks? So many preachers, as I talk to them, speak about the division that has come to the body of Christ over whether you should wear a mask or not. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion. But I am saying that that is a very, very silly thing to bring disagreement and a lack of harmony and driving peace from people's hearts. And Paul would say that we must practice these things. It isn't enough to know them. It isn't enough to quote them. We must do them in order to have the peace that God would call us to have. The next one is a very, very famous and well-known verse. But oh, so very, very difficult to live. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, do not lose sight of these little prepositions. Stand firm, how, where, in the Lord. Agree how, where, in the Lord. Rejoice how, where, in the Lord. He's not talking about a style of worship here. 
He is talking about the object and the ground of rejoicing. We rejoice in the Lord. We recognize the redemption that we have in Christ, that we have been reconciled to God, that the wrath of God no longer rests upon us. We recognize that God intercedes for us, that he's an advocate for us, that he strengthens us, that he sustains us, and he loves us, and he cares for us with a perfect and everlasting love. That is a source of rejoicing. You think about in the anxieties of life, when we lose track of that, when we lose track of our need of Christ and focusing on Christ, and rejoicing in the work of Christ on our behalf, things go absolutely haywire. When I read this verse, there's so often a picture comes to my mind from my own life experience. I'll not go into all the background. That's not essential. But I was going through a very difficult time in my life, something that just would overwhelm me, and I could not get it out of my mind. And I began to practice what he's talking about there, that when I would go down that pathway, I would begin to think about the blessing that was mine as a person to know Christ, the blessing that was mine as a husband to have a wife that followed Christ, to have children that knew Christ, to have grandchildren that at that point knew the Lord. And that that was something that nothing could ever take away. That that was more important than the things that so often caused me such deep anxiety. And I think that's what Paul's talking about here. He is not in any way saying we stick our head in the sand and don't recognize we're going through tribulation. Rather, he says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord that your treasures in Christ far exceed the things in this world it is a light momentary affliction in light of the eternal weight of glory. And there is something about that that brings peace to the soul. That simplicity of rejoicing in the Lord. And again, he says, I say rejoice. Just getting our focus on Christ. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. The prophet Isaiah, God tells him, he says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. As chapter 40 opens up, he continues on and he tells him, go up into a high mountain and cry out, cry aloud to the people of God. What did he cry out? What did he say to them? What was the message to bring them comfort? It was simply this, behold your God. And then for the rest of that chapter, he just lays out in incredible detail the sovereign majesty of God. And in that, we find peace. Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. Psalm 95, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. 
Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Do you see God as great? Do you know God to be a great and awesome God? I trust that you do. If your God is big, sometimes we live like he's small, but if your God is big, he is worthy of our hearts to rejoice. And as we learn to rejoice, as we practice that, God can give us great peace. Verse 5, this kind of goes to relationships again. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. The Beatitudes begin with this sense of being poor in spirit. It begins with that sense of being humble before the Lord. How critical it is in being meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The idea of being gentle, being courteous, being kind to other people. Those things pave a pathway to peace. Not being arrogant, not being opinionated, not being high-minded, not having to win every argument, to win every battle, to be right in every matter. I was listening to a podcast with John Piper the other day that he made such an interesting point to me. He said one of the things that helped him early on in his ministry is to come and embrace imperfection because he realized he did not have every answer. He realized he would say things in his understanding at that point in time that he might change later on as God would reveal things to him. And he had to embrace the fact that he was not going to be perfect. We need to be reasonable to one another. Verse 6, I think, presents the greatest challenge to us. Be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you think that's even possible? Really? You think about the anxieties of your life. You think about the amount of time that you spend in anxiety. If you're like most of us, there is anxiety. I mean, you're anxious about this COVID-19. You might be anxious about finances. If you're having relationship problems, you're anxious about that. If there's someone that you know and love that's battling incredible health obstacles, I mean, you're anxious about that. You wake up in the middle of the night and that's the first thing that grabs your soul and you're anxious about those things. And all the many other things that produce anxiety in our lives. And yet Paul would say to us, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord, and the peace of God will be a result of that. How do those two things, how, how do they measure up, this idea of prayer and the idea of peace? Let me share some things that God has taught me on this that I think are gathered from the Scriptures have accumulated in my mind. 
they're not earth-shaking, but I think they'll be helpful. You listen. It is imperative that we take time and quiet our souls to genuinely cast our cares upon the Lord and lift up our petitions before the Lord. This is something that cannot be hurried and it cannot be shortchanged. One of the things I think that is easy for us to do is to think about a situation without really praying about a situation. To pray is that tangible act where we take an anxiety, we take a care, we take something that is resting in our soul, and we take that and we do what Peter says, we cast that upon the Lord. We take that care and we say, God, I am leaving this with you. You love me. You care for me. You are wise. You are good. I'm standing firm in the character of God. I'm not wavering from that. I'm going to take this anxiety and I'm going to bring it to the Lord. And we're going to take our time to think that through. We're going to take our time and mentally think through lifting and casting that care before God. And who God is. And what God has done. And the result of that can truly be peace. And we need to do that with thanksgiving. I have struggled, struggled, struggled in certain prayers that I have lifted, certain anxieties of my soul to lift that before God and to give him thanks. Not only for who he is, but for what he is doing in my life. And I struggle with that at times. I don't want that. I never ask for that. I'm anxious. It's eating me alive. God is saying, you come and you take your time and you mentally in your heart take that and cast it on me. Whether you have to do that on your knees or whether you can do that somewhere, but make sure you take time and visually see that take place. Secondly, we must come to a place where we can genuinely, as I just mentioned, give thanks to God for who he is and what he does. We must be still and know that he is God. I look around the auditorium, I could just pull so many circumstances out. I'll not do that. Sometimes it is just hard to reckon that. And yet it is absolutely critical for us to have peace. We must rejoice in the Lord. We must be able to give thanks to God. And there has to be something that would drive that. The last thing, we must come to a place where we are at peace with God's sovereign plan and purposes for our life. 
recognizing his ways are not always our ways and that he is working something far greater than we can often know. That's just so easy to say. I mean, it sounds good. We believe in the sovereignty of God. But when you are wrestling through real life anxieties, that is not always easy to embrace. But that is what we must practice in order to have peace. It's hard for me sometimes to think about God working. I can't see it. In my little life, I can't see anything there. But God in his infinite, infinite, infinite wisdom is working something. And I must stand firm in that. That's where I must sink my heart. I must rejoice in the Lord. And I must believe in him to the extent that I do not worry, but rather bring those things before him. Peace. Peace is simply harmony. It is harmony with another person. Peace with God is that enmity of our sin and the wrath of God being taken away in the cross of Christ. The peace of God is that ability to reconcile our heart to the working of God. It is that peace that passes all understanding. Listen to Carson. This is a rather long quote, but I think it's helpful. Sometimes when you're studying, you read something and you think, well, that's really what I was thinking, but the guy says it so well that I don't want to try to recreate it. I want to give him credit for what he's saying. And he just, this whole section is really, really good. So listen carefully as I read. This idea of the peace of God, this God being the stability of our times. None of this should be misconstrued as a Pollyannish approach to life. Christians are not ostriches with heads buried carefully in the sand. There is no hint that we shall live above the pressures of other mortals by escaping them. Far from it. It is precisely in the context of the pressures we all must endure that we find rest, our rest in God. If you worry little simply because the hand of providence has so far blessed you with a relatively easy passage, or if you worry little because you have a carefree personality, you know little of the truth of this passage. This passage does not deny the existence of anxieties. It tells you what to do with them. It does not tell us that if we have the right personality that we can live above the tension. It tells us where we find strength and grace to help in time of need. Not only are we to present our prayers and petitions to God, we are to do so with thanksgiving. 
This is surely a sacrifice of praise. Anyone can praise when things are going well. Praise when by common human reckoning, everything is in the pits. This demands a sacrifice of praise. Continuing, he says, at the end of the day, it is supernatural and transcends all understanding. When in the most difficult trials of life, God can give us a measure of peace that brings harmony with him, that's supernatural. And yet, that is a fruit, a promise in practicing what Paul's laid out here. Not just knowing it, but practicing it. That's why I say it's not hard to understand, but it is a battleground for every single person under the sound of my voice today. And yet it can be done. It can be done not through the strength of the flesh, not through some catchy pattern, not through some carefree spirit. It can be done as we glory in Christ, as we rest in Christ, as we exalt in Christ, as we know our God and stand firm in the Lord, that God becomes preeminent in the things that bring anxiety to our lives. The last one here that we don't have time really to develop but it's so critical, and that is the mind, what we think on, what captivates our mind, where we spend our time in, in meditation. He says we think on the things that God sees as profitable, things that are true, things that are good, things that, that bring forth some evidence of growth in God and glory to Christ. We must do those things. We must focus on those things. As we come to the end this morning, as we come to the table today, let me encourage our hearts. Look to the Lord. Trust in our God. Because our God cares deeply, deeply, deeply for us.